Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Good morning everyone. It is a little bit surreal that we find ourselves back in this position where we're trying to live stream the service from our homes and I'm sure uh, like my family and your family we wish we could all be together at the church but the church is still together and I'm thankful that we can study God's word and um, thankful that we can slow down now to hear from him. And so before we dive into God's Word, uh, let me just say thank you to Alan and Cherise for leading us in such a sweet time uh, of worship, of thinking about the, the songs that are so packed with grace and the truth of grace and how much we, um, we need grace and then also the confidence we have in running to God because of that grace. Um, and so that's a wonderful truth that we want to make sure we understand. And so before we dive now into God's Word, let's just take a moment to pray and, and commit our time to the Lord and ask His help for studying His Word. So if you're still joining in the meantime, uh, we're praying now and asking God to help us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that no matter the coronavirus or any other virus or any other situation, that Your truth cannot be contained. Father, thank you that we can slow down this morning to hear from you. Thank you that you bring your church, your people together, even if it's through technology like this, to worship you. Father, and that is our desire, to be the kind of people that overflow with worship for the God of this universe. So Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together now as we open up your word. I pray that you would be close to us, you would draw near to us, your Holy Spirit would be at work in us. Show us more of Jesus Christ, we pray. Show us more of the grace we have in Jesus and help us learn a way to look for that grace. And Father, especially in these dark times, we think of so many people that are even affected by Corona right now, and we pray for them, Lord. We pray for all the families in our church that are currently uh, have positive cases of Corona. And ask, Lord, that you would just allow them to get through this in a way that um, shows that you are for them and with them, that they would depend on you every step of the way. Lord, that you would bring healing and just so much grace in this time. We think of those who've even lost loved ones, Lord. And we even heard about that yesterday and Tabi Singh and her family and, and Lord. And I know there's others as well. And so, Father, we do pray that you would be a great comfort to us even today as we meditate on your truth. Thank you, Father, that you are not silent, that you equip us in your word to be able to make sense of this world, sense of this life and everything that ha that's happening. And thank you that we can, again, just be 
reminded that this is not our home. So that even if Corona comes along and, and takes us away from this life, we know there's a greater life to come. And we can trust you for that life because of Jesus. Thank you that we do not have to live in fear, but we can live in the confidence of the gospel. So, Father, we do pray that you would be glorified in this church even now as we worship you by studying your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, guys, if you want to take your Bibles, as you know, we are studying the book of Galatians. And we're going to read from Galatians chapter 2. So take your Bibles and we're turning to Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to read the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 2. As you remember, we were in Galatians last week. We started with the first five verses. And today we're going to focus on verses 6 to 9. But let's just read this whole section together. Paul writes, Then after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation, and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he works through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, works also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now I've been really enjoying my reading of the Gospel of John in the mornings and I've been reminded about how difficult it was for the Pharisees to truly understand what Jesus was doing while He was here on earth. In John chapter 9, in fact, we see how the Pharisees interrogated the man that was born blind. And he was given sight by Jesus. They asked the man who uh, was healed two times what happened to him, because they could not see how it's possible that someone like Jesus could heal him. In fact, in John 9:27, he responds and he says, I have told you already, and you would not listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. In other words, you follow grace, we follow the law. And it's always going to be impossible for anyone to see true grace 
when they are so consumed with the world and their own problems and their own efforts to do what the Bible says in order to be right with God. And we've been talking a lot about grace over the last few weeks. Everything we've touched on so far in Galatians has highlighted in some aspect some element of grace. We've talked about the grace of God now that has set us free from the present evil age. We talked about the dangerous situation where people are turning their back on grace because of messing with the gospel of grace and trying to add their own requirements and efforts to this grace. We've also talked about the need for grace and the transforming power of grace and how God can save anyone by looking at Paul's testimony. And last week we talked about how important it is that we protect grace and stand firm in the one true gospel of grace every single day. But what exactly is grace? Because it's not going to be very helpful for us to do all this talk about grace if we don't actually know what it is. Because when the Bible talks about grace, we are talking about God's free, sovereign, and undeserved blessing toward those who deserve exactly the opposite. Because as we have been saying, the Bible is very clear that we all deserve God's judgment for our sin, right? But Jesus then steps in to take care of that punishment for us. He opens our eyes to the truth of what He's done on our behalf. And to those who turn to Him and look at Him through the eyes of faith, they experience this radical, undeserved grace in their lives. And it's all God's doing. It's all God's doing from start to finish. And the result is that people might continue to talk about how they need grace. That's right. How people are saved by grace and only saved by grace. And we continue to talk about how thankful we are for grace. And those are all right and good and true and we should keep talking about those things. But do we actually know what grace looks like? Do we know what it actually looks like? In other words, will you be able to identify grace if it even walked into our church? Will you be able to explain to someone else what grace looks like if you saw it? If we turn our attention to Galatians chapter 2, then essentially in this whole section of chapter 2 verses 1 and 10, Paul is talking about how important and convincing it was that the Jerusalem apostles saw the grace of God. Paul is describing to us the important meeting he had with these leaders in Jerusalem. And last week we saw how crucial this meeting actually was. Because the issue of whether Gentiles should be circumcised to be saved was being addressed. Paul was protecting grace and the unity that comes with it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because these false brothers were insisting that Gentiles should be circumcised in order to be part of God's family. They wanted Paul's Gentile part in the gospel, Titus, you remember, to be circumcised as well. But what do we see? We saw that Paul stood his ground. He did not yield to them for even a second. And Paul was trying to show the Galatians through all of this that the Jerusalem leaders were on the same page with Paul about this issue. But the question is, how? What was it that they saw that confirmed to them 
that there is true unity among them in the gospel? Well, Paul says that the answer is that the Jerusalem apostles saw the grace of God. Look at verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7. Paul says, They saw how I was entrusted with the gospel. And then again in verse 9, When they perceived, noticed, or saw again the grace that was given to me. You see, the apostles were able to see the grace of God in Paul. And as a result, they confirmed their partnership with him. These important men and God's plan for the gospel of grace for Jerusalem were able to see the grace of God. And it created assurance and unity amongst all the apostles. This was the the gel that held them all together. And that is why it is so important that we are able to see the grace of God as well. If we want to live lives that are firmly rooted in this message of grace, and if we are going to make sense of all the challenges and opposition that come our way, then we too need to know how to identify grace. We have to have a laser sharp focus on what grace is. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about being someone that is an expert at seeing grace. Having the skill to see the grace of God and work in your own life, but also in the lives of those around you. And I believe this is such an important skill to have because the more you're able to see grace, the more that very grace will impact your life. Now, by being able to see the grace of God in the, in the good times and in the bad times, it's going to help us. It's going to help us when we pray. It's going to help us to know how to use our time. It's going to help us to know how to parent our children. It's going to help us to know how, what to, relationships to pursue. It's going to help us know how to make difficult decisions. Sort of what Paul is doing here, even in this meeting, you could say. And it's going to help us know what church family we want to be a part of, if we're honest. Because the more we see grace, the more we want to be part of that grace. Which means the more we will be living lives of true worship. Not just lives of religion, where we're just going through the motions. And so to help us develop that skill today, we are going to look at four examples from Galatians 2 verses 6 to 9. Four examples of what grace looks like. Four examples of how the grace of God can be seen in this world. And the first one, starting in verse 6, is that grace is seen when people are objective. Number one, grace is seen when people are objective. Verse 6, And from those who seem to be influential, Paul writes, What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. Now, if you've been studying Galatians with us and following along with Paul's argument, then up until this point, he's been making it clear that he has been operating independently from all the other apostles in Jerusalem. But now he has come to Jerusalem again. And he's having this meeting with those who appear to be important those who seem to be influential, as he describes them. And as verse 9 then tells us, he is, we know he's meeting privately with Peter, James and John. And we know that Barnabas and Titus is also with him. And one of the issues where the 
being addressed as whether the Gentiles should be circumcised, then we remember from last week that Paul is not here in this meeting to get the apostles to approve of him and his ministry. Rather, he is there to set before the apostles the message of grace that he has been proclaiming. To ensure there's true unity among them, unity that will enhance his ministry to the Gentiles. He was showing them that God's grace does not require anyone to be circumcised in order to be saved. Because Paul knows that what the opposition is thinking. He knows they are wanting the Jerusalem leaders to turn against Paul and this message of grace. But here's the thing. Paul is not intimidated by these false brothers. And he's not intimidated by the so-called important leaders in Jerusalem. Because of what he says here in verse 6. He says, And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. Now Paul already said a similar thing back in verse 2, you remember. And the main thing Paul wants to help us see from verse 6 here is that these important men from Jerusalem, at the end of the verse, they did, not, they did nothing, they didn't add anything to his message of grace. They did not add anything to his message of grace. That's the main point. But it's how Paul says it before he gets to that main point that kind of stands out to us. Because he's repeating himself many times here. He says, What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Now Paul is saying, I don't really care what the other apostles, who they are and what their titles might be and how other people think of them. It doesn't change my perspective on the message of grace. Here we see the, the grace of God on display. How? Well, by someone like Paul, who is able to be objective towards others. In other words, we can see grace and that Paul wasn't someone that was impressed by the other apostles and their titles. He wasn't easily swayed by their reputation. And we all know the reality is that we are so easily impressed by other people. Are we not? How popular they and well-known they might be. We look at the size of the church and think these guys are so impressive. How many books they've written or you know what conferences they are asked to speak at. But why do we do that? Because God does not care about external appearances. God is not more impressed about by popular people than He is with the unknown people of this world. The apostles might be these wonderful men that God has chosen, but there was nothing in them that impressed God. We know that, even when God picked them one by one. You see, Paul justifies his attitude towards the apostles by saying to the Galatians, what they were makes no difference to me. And then he adds these important words. God shows no partiality. Because what does it mean that God shows no partiality? This is something we actually find in the Bible, all over the Bible. For example, Deuteronomy 10 verse 17 says, like, says it like this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. God doesn't care more about certain people and more than He does others. 
He's not influenced by how well someone prays or how well they're able to quote scripture or you know how much they read their Bibles. God sees things as they truly are. He's objective and He executes His justice objectively by caring for those who need His care. Second Chronicles 19 verse 7 Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. See, God's judgments are always right and good. He is not swayed by our performance before Him. He cares about the heart. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. And grace can be seen when people live with the right fear before God, and not being uh, showing favoritism to certain people, putting certain people on a pedestal, you know, thinking so much of them because they're so popular. You know, like what we do with famous preachers, and you know, you think of a famous preacher, even when he says something controversial, and then some people, without even thinking about it, they will defend his behavior. Because they've put them in this category, you know, this, this pedestal that they almost can't do anything wrong. But rather, we see grace when people have the right view of themselves and the right view of others. That we are all sinners in the need of the grace of God. Because it's when we recognize that, like Paul, we are the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. Or as 1 Corinthians 59 says, For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Verse 10. When you see someone that thinks more of himself than others, then you are not seeing a picture of grace. Misdirected confidence in yourself is not a picture of grace. It's rather having a humble Recognition that I don't deserve anything except the judgment of God. And because of His rich mercy and grace, I am what I am. This is the attitude of Paul. Paul didn't make, he didn't have this attitude and didn't make him inferior to the other apostles. He says that as well in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11. By having a humble attitude doesn't mean that we just let people walk all over us. But we can identify grace when we see someone live in true humility, being confident in the unchanging truth of the gospel. Because that is what Paul was. He says, these men of influence, they added nothing to me. They did not change the message of grace. Titus, as we saw last week, he didn't didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to add anything to the already sufficient gospel. And so let me ask you, can you see grace in your own attitude towards others? What about your own attitude towards yourself? Are you someone that is objective and impartial because of the truth of the gospel? Or do you show favoritism to certain people because they are popular and well-known and essentially all you do is you allow them to influence your decisions without even thinking? Paul He's an example here of someone who is not going to be influenced by others. He is objective. He is not going to be impressed by their status in the community, even if they are godly men. Because he is more impressed by the godliness of Jesus. 
And that is a picture of grace. Paul could have easily been trying to say things and do things to impress the apostles, but he didn't. He was simply focused on the truth. And we can, uh, we're going to see in uh, the, the coming chapters and his, his whole sort of confrontation with uh, Peter, why even what he's saying now is so important. Because we need to stay focused on the truth. We need to be objective. But now secondly, Paul gives us another example. Paul shows us that grace is seen, number two, grace is seen when the gospel is going forward. Grace is seen when the gospel is going forward. Verse 7. He says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Now instead of having a situation where the apostles were going to change Paul's message, he says the opposite was happening. Paul was making it clear what it is that the Jerusalem apostles saw that they didn't have to say anything about his message. I mean the other apostles here, they are examples to us of people who had trained eyes for spotting grace. The apostles had trained eyes for spotting grace. But what exactly is it that they saw in Paul? He says, They noticed he had been entrusted with a gospel to the Gentiles. And of course, given the this this whole context of the early church and how the early church was being built and the significance of this issue of Jew and Gentile, and uh, the apostles knew personally that this was a significant responsibility. They recognized that this same weighty, wonderful, life-changing responsibility was definitely given to Paul. In fact, Paul said the same thing to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And how is it that the apostles saw this? Well, it's surely because of what they would have heard about his ministry. How he traveled into Arabia and Syria and Cilicia and how he went back home to Tarsus and now God was saving people through his ministry. You could say that even they put even Paul's ministry on the same level as the Apostle Peter's ministry. Because what does he say? They saw the response that I had to the Gentiles just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. And so they are recognizing Paul's ministry is totally in line with theirs. And so we are know, we know that we are seeing grace when we find someone faithfully sharing the gospel. And people respond to the message they heard, seeing their sin for what it is. We know we are seeing grace when those same people respond to seeing their sin with conviction and they put their faith and trust in the Savior for that sin, the one who died for their sin. That is what the Jerusalem apostles saw in the ministry of Paul. It was a ministry that saw true conversions taking place. Paul wasn't just going around and gathering up a crowd. He wasn't interested in just filling seats. He had a genuinely fruitful ministry that could only have come from God. And remember, the living proof was right there in front of them. Titus, remember, he's there from last week. He's proof of this grace. But notice with me, Titus was not only living proof of 
the grace of God in Paul's evangelistic efforts to the Gentiles in terms of salvation, we also see something else here because Paul, how Paul took Titus under his wing to disciple him, taking him along on his journeys and eventually giving him so many responsibilities to further the work of the gospel in other areas. And so grace is also seen when the gospel is going forward in discipleship relationships where there's sharing of the gospel, but also the sharing of ourselves. Like what Paul said a few verses later, again to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves. We can identify pictures of grace when there's mentorship, and the sharing of ourselves, and walking alongside someone else, where people are intentionally looking for opportunities to pour into the lives of others, so that those same people can go and be responsible to pour into someone else. We know it's grace when the gospel is going forward like this. And this is what the apostle saw in Paul and his ministry. Now for some of us, Perhaps our Titus is our spouse. Maybe right now, your Titus is your child. Maybe it's someone in your class, your, your co-worker. But is it not interesting that this is the exact encouragement and instruction that Paul would later give to Titus? Titus chapter 2. All the men ought to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Verse 3. All the women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Then later in verse 6 he says, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. That's discipleship. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that any opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And so we know it's all grace when God uses relationships like these to bring people to saving faith. And then He uses those same relationships to equip people to advance the work of the gospel. That kind of makes me think of another example, because sometimes when we think of discipleship relationships, we can be so intimidated by other people, overwhelmed by their knowledge of the Bible perhaps, and we think there's nothing we can teach them or help them with, so we don't even bother to reach out to them. They've been Christians for so much longer than I have. But look at this example from Acts 18, verse 24. We have Priscilla and Aquila who came alongside Apollos and they didn't come to add to his gospel but to help fill in some more details. Luke writes this, verse 24, Acts 18. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught, 
accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now this is a beautiful picture to me of what it looks like to not fear man, to be impartial or objective, to want to see the gospel go forward and be willing to come alongside someone else to help them to have a fuller understanding of the gospel of grace. If they already, and these guys might already be doing good in their walk with the Lord, but even these people can have a fuller understanding of the gospel of grace. So there's so much we can learn from each other in so many ways. There's no one that does not need discipleship. And so it's good that we can look at Titus and uh, the Tituses in our lives and remember all the grace of God and what He does in saving people and discipling people. But here's the question. Do we have people like this in our lives? Are we intentionally seeking discipleship relationships with others to see the gospel go forward? Will anyone from the outside looking in be able to see the grace in this way at our church? We know we are seeing grace when believers are intentionally pursuing relationships with other people to help them know and embrace the one true gospel of grace by sharing themselves, their time, their resources, opening their homes, opening their calendar, making a plan to open your heart to see other people experience the grace of God. You see, when this happens, you know what's so good? It's our faith that is being encouraged and strengthened in the same time. That when we actually see the grace of God in the lives of other people in those kinds of relationships, we are challenged ourselves to further the work of the gospel. This is where the grace of God is rubbing off on one another. And this kind of brings us to our, our third example. We can see grace when people are objective, staying focused on the truth, and not being influenced by the reputation of others. We see it when the gospel is moving forward in true conversions and discipleship relationships. But also, number three, grace is seen when God uses unexpected people to advance His message. Grace is seen when God uses unexpected people to advance His message. That's verse 8. For He worked through Peter for His apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Now, let's just try and keep Paul's train of thought here. He is saying that it doesn't matter to him who the apostles were in reputation, etc. Yes, he respected them. But in fact, it's these same apostles that saw the grace that was given to him because of the ministry he had to the Gentiles, specifically. And he mentions that they saw it was on the same level as what Peter had to the Jews. But now he makes it clear who is the one actually doing the work. Because he says, for he who worked through Peter. And that he clearly refers to God. They saw that God is the one who is at work through Paul and Peter. Because it's never been about Paul or Peter and it's never been about me or you. It's always been about God and what God is doing. And here's the thing. 
We know we are seeing grace when God uses someone that we did not expect to be an agent of change in the life of someone else. Because let's take Peter and Paul as the example here. Initially, we see in Acts 10 that Peter was the one who reached the Gentiles first with Cornelius and his family. And we also see that Paul is the one who went into the Jewish synagogues again and again. And so what is clear is that God had two spheres of ministry here, one toward the Jews and one toward the Gentiles. But now it's become evident that Paul's ministry focus was to the Gentiles. And Peter's ministry was to the Jews, the circumcised. And what does it show us? Well, let's think about this, because Paul could have said to Peter, you know, hey brother, you're a fisherman, and you kind of know the Gentile people better than I do. Uh, it's more of your kind of people, the Gentiles. So maybe you should focus on the Gentiles. And myself, I have a pretty serious background, you know, when it comes to the Jewish religion. I'm kind of sharp theologically, well-trained, best schools, all that kind of stuff. So maybe I should rather focus on the Jews. I really understand the Jews. But God had a different plan, didn't He? Which is showing us another example of grace, doesn't it? When He uses someone like Peter to minister to the Jews, and someone like Paul to minister to the Gentiles. When in our minds it should be the other way around. But why is this grace? Because what Paul is saying here is that the one who's at work in me is the same one that's at work in Peter. It's the same God. It's the same God. It's the same God that is one in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the same unified God that is at work in me and through me, and it doesn't matter where I go or to whom I go. He is the one doing the work. And this should give us such confidence to know that we can follow this example. That we can be objective and impartial towards others. That we can intentionally pursue other relationship for the cause of the gospel, to see the gospel go forward. And not just people that we have shared similarities with, right? Yes, it makes sense for someone like a brother Akani to go to Limpopo because he's from that village and he speaks the language and he's able to communicate way better than I perhaps ever could to the Songa people, the locals in that area. And this is totally a work of grace in Akani and his family's life and what God's doing there. But we know we're also seeing grace when people from a different background, a different culture or language, leaves all that behind and goes after people because of the gospel of grace. When someone is so very different from them, they understand that grace motivates them to go where God leads them to go. Because the same God that is at work through men like Akani is the same God that is at work through every other believer in this church. It's the same God, the same Spirit, and it doesn't matter who the messenger is. It's like what Paul said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, where people might have different gifts in the church, but it's the same Spirit. The same Spirit that gave them those gifts and the same Spirit that's uniting believers and causing people to get into messy, difficult relationships for the cause of the gospel of grace. So church, let me ask you, how are we doing in this area? Can we see the grace of God and these kinds of relationships in our church? Are we willing to engage with people who are different from us? Or are we only defaulting to what is comfortable? Sticking to our own language our own culture, our own backgrounds, and 
missing the opportunity we have to shock the world by the grace of God, by putting the gospel of grace on display so that people can see more of Jesus. So that we can together be so intentional about pursuing anyone that we advance the work of the gospel. Which kind of brings us to our final example here again. We've been talking about all these examples of trying to see what grace looks like. Grace can be seen when people are objective, when the gospel is moving forward, when unexpected people do the work of God. And now finally, number four, grace is seen when we partner together to build the church. Verse 9. Grace is seen when we partner together to build the church. He says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, and that we should go to the Gentiles, and they to the circumcised. So we see now from verse 9 again, how Paul introduces the who those seemingly influential men actually were. He names them James, Cephas and John. But now instead of referring to them for a third time as the so-called men of influence, he calls them pillars. Pillars. This is actually a very interesting description of the apostles here because what do you think about when I say the word pillar? You think of a support structure of some kind. Something that's holding something else in the air. And the thing is, when people in those days who were familiar with the Old Testament Greek would know that Paul is talking about pillars. When he's talking about pillars, it would bring to mind the same concept that was used to describe the pillars in the construction of Solomon's temple. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 7. The pillars of Solomon's temple were actually quite famous in themselves because they were even given names. We see that in 1 Kings 7 verse 21, which says, Solomon set up the pillars at the vestibule of the temple. He set up the pillar on the south and called its name Yakin. And he set up the pillar on the north and called its name Boaz. And so when people refer to the apostles as being pillars, it would bring to mind the significant task of building the temple of God. Building the temple of God. And as you even consider what Peter writes later when talking about the church, he says in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is using construction language here to indicate how God's redeemed people are united in this effort of building the church of God together, where we can make sacrifices to God together. Because of Jesus. But then also look at what Paul writes to the Ephesians. And this one's huge. Ephesians 2 verse 19. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
That's the local church. Paul came to the pillars, and I want you to see how significant this meeting actually was, because the result of their time together was that they saw the grace of God in Paul, and what did these pillars do? They gave Paul the right hand of fellowship. That's the whole point of this whole section. The whole point of what Paul's been trying to make clear, that he, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, along with the other apostles, were unified and together, and they established that Paul's gospel is the true gospel of grace. And they did so by giving him the right hand, which is like saying, let's more than just shake on this, let us ratify and cement our partnership in the gospel. They are in total agreement that together they were united in laboring, working, proclaiming and building a dwelling place for God. A place that will consist of both Jew and Gentile. Where Jesus is the cornerstone. And there are the supporting structures chosen by God, the pillars. And all who look to Christ by faith, to look to Christ by faith alone, they share in this work of building God's church together. That's us church. That's the church of God. And then he mentions again that he's going to focus on the Gentiles for now and the other apostles will focus on the Jews. These different spheres of ministry or ministry focus. Using the one true gospel of grace to reach the world. And if we think about the bigger picture again here, what Paul has been saying all this time is now as clear as it can be. He is like, brothers and sisters in Galatia, these false teachers have nothing on me. Look at the example of Titus. Look at how the other apostles received me. Look at how they confirmed the grace of God in my ministry. Look at how they confirmed that I am a co-builder of God's church. All of this makes it clear that I am a true apostle set apart by God to declare His message of grace to the nations. And that is how we see grace. When people from different backgrounds are working together to build the church of God. And think of what a privilege this is. A privilege that we can be part of this work as God's people. And see, God is not so much concerned about building an actual building for living up church. Yes, it would be amazing to have our own building one day and I think we should take some serious prayerful steps toward making seeing that happen. But God has a much bigger building program in mind. Which is to see the message of grace reach the darkest corners of Africa. To see the message of grace reach the highest flat buildings in Sunnyside. To see the message of grace spread to those even sitting to you right now. And so we see God's grace clearly when people partner together to raise up more people in the church or or even full-time missionaries to partner with them and send them to these unreached areas. And it's a beautiful thing when churches partner together in this work. And sometimes churches have different views on different things. So a church that has a different view on the end times or infant baptism and baptism, does that mean we can't partner together in the true one gospel of grace? No, of course we can. Of course we can. But do you know where that all starts? It starts right here, right now. Because when we see the grace of God, we see it clearly when other people are willing to lay down their lives to help others honor Jesus Christ. 
When people respond to grace with sacrificial obedience toward the cause of Christ and the the good of other people. Then we are building God's church together. With people who are objective, with people who are engaging in evangelistic conversations, with people who are engaging in intentional discipleship relationships, with people who are opening their homes and their hearts to invite others in, people that are different from them, with people who partner together to build the dwelling place of God, with people who are becoming experts at seeing grace. Now if we're going to try and identify grace and develop the skill to see it more clearly, like the apostles did in Paul's ministry, then what must we do? Well, let me just give you three thoughts. Three thoughts. Firstly, you have to know where to look. You have to know where to look. Some of us find it hard to see grace because we don't know where to look. Some people think there's only grace in their lives when they don't struggle with sin. When everything in their lives are going well. But it's right here that many people find the Christian life so discouraging. But the grace of God can be seen in the the good times and in the hard times. Grace is seen when someone is fighting against the flesh and their own sinful desires and they don't just give in. Grace is seen when someone is persevering in a difficult marriage. Grace is seen when someone is holding on to Jesus when a certain illness is seeking to control their lives. Grace is seen when someone is worshipping God even though they just lost a loved one. Grace is seen when someone who doesn't have much is able to enjoy the full treasure they have in Jesus Christ. So we have to know where to look. Secondly, acknowledge the grace you see. Acknowledge the grace you do see. And the apostles saw the grace in Paul's life and ministry and they acknowledged it by giving him the right hand of fellowship. And the more you see the grace and the, the lives of others, do the same. Acknowledge it and celebrate it. Thank God for it. This means you don't just think it, you actually say it to someone else. And that saying it to someone else could actually fuel them to be able to persevere in grace, as the Bible says. Because the more we do that, the more we can create a culture of grace in our marriages, in our families, and even in the church family as a whole. And so, we've got to know where to look, and when we see it, we've got to acknowledge it. But then thirdly, you've got to make sure your eyes are open. God has given the church family one another to help build this dwelling place for Him together. But people who are so consumed by their own works and their own efforts, they won't be able to see the grace of God in their lives. Or in the lives of anyone else for that matter. Jesus says back in John 9 verse 39, with this whole blind man and Pharisee situation, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. 
See, some people think they're in the light when in fact they're still in the darkness. All they can do is criticize and see the problems and they see people um, and they can't see the grace in anyone else's life. All they can see is that they need to work harder and try harder to be right with God. Jesus can be standing right in front of you like he was with the Pharisees and you still won't be able to see the grace. I mean, this guy was just healed from blindness. He's never been able to see in his whole life and all they could care about is how is this possible? Why is this guy doing this on the Sabbath? But Jesus also said, He came into this world for those who do not see that they may in fact see. And that is what we want as a church. We want to party together in the gospel of grace by keeping our eyes so focused on the cross, the place that shows us the ultimate picture of grace, the real picture of the perfect man dying for the imperfect, the gracious man dying for the disgraceful. And it's when we look at Jesus and we seek to share this message of of grace by turning from sin and trusting in Jesus that God takes away all our sins, that He gives us the perfect life of His Son, then He gives us a new heart with new eyes, so that we can see grace all around us, all the times. But we've got to look. Can you imagine what it would look like at Living Up Church if we were experts at seeing the grace of God on a daily basis? Perhaps you struggle to see it yourself, But God has given us one another to help us see it. Let us be a church that truly understands and celebrates the gospel of grace. So my challenge to you this week even is, can you look around you and notice the grace of God? Are you able to list one or two, maybe even three things that show you a picture of the grace of God? And then how is that, when you think about that, fueling your worship? and the understanding of the grace of God in your own life. Let's take a moment now and pray and ask God to help us to become the kind of people that become experts at seeing the grace of God all around us. And when we do see it, we acknowledge it, we celebrate it, and we thank Him for it, so that we can create a culture, an inviting family culture, that invites the world in to come and experience this grace as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank You so much for the grace of Jesus Christ. Thank You that You, the perfect Holy One, sent Your Son to come and die for sinners like us. And that You've opened our eyes because of the supernatural work of Jesus. And Lord, as we continue to look to You by faith, help us not to become so consumed with this world and our own problems and all the discouragements in life that we are not able to see Your goodness, Your grace and what You are doing in the midst of things. Lord, thank You for giving us these examples of grace. Thank You that You show us what it looks like to be objective, to not be influenced by others around us, but staying true to the truth of the Gospel. Thank You that You show us that what it looks like for the Gospel to go forward. That is our purpose, that is our mission, that's what we want. That's what we want to see, faithful people sharing faithfully the good news of Jesus. And then, Lord, that You would use that, because You are the one that saves people. You are the one that will truly convert people. You are the one that will bring glory to Yourself by saving sinners. Thank You, God, that we also know that You take unexpected people, like like Paul and Peter and 
sending them to the groups of people that we would have it the other way around. And Lord, I pray that even in our church, you would stir within us a, a desire to go across the cultural lines and racial lines and societal lines and, and, and engage in these deep, meaningful discipleship relationships to see people glorify God through Jesus Christ. And Father, thank you for the privilege that we have to be people that are co-laborers, co-laborers along with the apostles and building a dwelling place for God, a place, a community not a church building, but a family, a community of people that are so in love with the Lord Jesus and His grace that it just invites others to come in and want to experience that grace as well. That we would lay down all of our own works and our, our own efforts before You and not be blinded by these sinful tendencies and, and, and self-efforts, but that we would run to the cross again and again and see grace more clearly. And so, Father, we thank You that we could hear your word again. Speak to us today. May your spirit submit it to our hearts like you did this partnership in the gospel amongst the apostles. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, church, we love you so much and can't wait for us to be back together again. Again, this is first Sunday online and we're not sure how many Sundays we'll have to do this. But in the meantime, let's really go after one another and encourage one another in this time. WhatsApps, reach it out, emails, whatever you can, phone calls. Let us be that community of grace that we talked about today. Have a wonderful Sunday and see you soon.